0: I would like to say we're going to be brief tonight, but sometimes that uh, back, back, backfires on us. We uh, have spent a few uh, months now studying uh, on end-time events. And primarily, we've been in the book of Revelation, not, ex- not exclusively, but primarily. And uh, we have covered the seven churches, letters to the seven churches, uh, found in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And uh, the uh, characteristics of each of those churches, there are things we can learn from those. Uh, Seemingly, there has been a parallel in history to certain time periods where uh, churches have been characterized uh, a lot, very much like those in the church letters to the seven churches. (coughs) But one thing I know for certain is that we can learn from them. And uh, it's wonderful. Somebody said years ago, if you're smart, you'll learn from your mistakes. But if you're wise, you will learn from someone else's mistakes. And so looking at these churches and seeing what the things were that God was pleased with and the things that God was not pleased with has been a big, big help to us, a big blessing to us in this time of day and where we have his word in our hands and can read those things and understand uh, that we ought to uh, make sure that we don't um, lose our first love, that we don't follow after worldliness and we don't let those things creep in. Uh, that we have a heart for the Lord, that we're, throughout persecution, that we're steadfast. And these are all things that we learn from those lessons. And then uh, we find that the uh, rapture of the church takes place at the onset of the book of Revelation. We believe in what's called a pre-tribulational rapture. We believe that God will come back and rapture those that have trusted Him as their Savior uh, before the tribulation period begins. Uh, how much before is, is of question. Some people say, well, we don't know how much time there will be. We do know that it will be a short period of time while Antichrist comes into power. And uh, I personally believe that there's about a 30-day window there. And the reason for that is, and one of these days I'll uh, bring that with me. I didn't bring the notes on it tonight. But there is uh, a uh, reference to time in the book of Daniel that is 30 days off from a reference of time in Revelation and uh, both of them marking a distance from something happening. And one of them, I believe, dealing with when the rapture uh, will be from the middle of the tribulation period, how much time period elapses. And the other one being the amount of time that the Antichrist has been in power from that same period of time. There seems to be a 30-day discrepancy there. Um, and so there's more than likely going to be a short period of time. Whatever it is, it will be a brief period of time. Uh, how how somebody's going to come together, the world's going to be in a panic because a lot of folks just disappeared and uh, somebody's going to come together and unify the world. They're going to unify them into a one-world government. They're going to have one-world currency. They're going to have one-world religion. And uh, we see how, uh, when we were kids, that was far-fetched. We couldn't see how any uh, cooperation between countries in any of these areas was going to happen. We're living in a day where, even in our country, the the bastion of freedom that we are, we see how that very much so there's a a quick-growing... Minority that will soon become a majority of people in our country that want to be united with people of the rest of the world. And uh, things that we would have thought were centuries off when we were kids are just around the corner now. And uh, so very, very important that we understand God is, God is laying the groundwork. Uh, he's made, making things come into, into place that will cause these transitions to happen. Because prophecy is always going to be correct. If God said it, if God gave it to us in His Word, you can mark it down. It's going to happen. And even if it seems unlikely, it's still going to happen because of what God has said there. So we've learned all that. Then we get into the seven-sealed book. And we uh, talked about that in chapters 5 and chapter 6. And six of the seven seals have now been opened. Um, the first four were pestilences on the earth and some some tribulation coming, some some Burdens and things that people were suffering from um, the uh, the last two dealt with the martyrs uh, <coughs> excuse me dealt with the martyrs and uh, things that were not necessarily plagues upon the earth, uh, but just setting the stage for some things to come. And then we go to chapter seven we spent two weeks on chapter number seven chapter seven is a a pause in the narrative of these seven seals. It's like God inserted it there and said, now I want you to understand some things. And what He wanted us to understand is that there were going to be 144,000 of the Jews uh, that were going to be sealed, 12,000 from each tribe, that were going to be sealed unto God. And these are going to be folks that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like you and I have. And He will put their seal in their foreheads. And uh, then there will be multitudes, the Bible says, from every nation and every tongue. Uh, They will all be represented there by folks that will be saved during the tribulation period. And while they will escape the plagues that are to follow, they do not necessarily escape persecution. We find that many of the multitude that were mentioned in chapter number 7 were those that had been martyred for Christ And we're standing before the throne in their white robes already. We're going to see a little bit more about that as we go into chapters 8, 9, and 10. um, That, uh, again, we'll find indication that there is the opportunity for people to be saved during the tribulation period. But there will be strong deceit and strong deception from Satan. And the likelihood of someone coming to Christ, if they have already rejected Him before the rapture, is very small. I'm not saying it's impossible, But the people that are going through these plagues, as we read through Revelation time after time, we find them being angry at God for this pestilence that's on them, and more defiant, uh, the high-handed, the rebellious, stiff-necked rebellion towards Him, even though they know that He is the one that's bringing the judgment. And in fact, in a large part, because they know that He is the one bringing the judgment, they are angry at Him, they rebel against Him, they turn to idolatry, uh, and they worship the beast and the Antichrist. And uh, they they do not uh, they reject God even though even at that time God would allow if they would come to Him uh, and you will see that we'll actually see that in Revelation here in the next several chapters uh, how that God will still be willing to accept people if they would come to Him and put their faith in Him even during this time and uh, so by the time God uh, casts those that have rejected Him into hell. He has more than given them every opportunity to escape it. He, not, he has not made such a narrow opportunity. Uh, I know the Bible says narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few there be that find it, but the opportunity is open to everyone. Uh, the acceptance of it is a very, very narrow concept. And uh, so the the six of the seven seals have been opened. We see chapter seven and we understand that people are going to be saved. And then chapter eight begins with a silence in heaven. We're going to look at that. Let's read the first few verses here in chapter number eight. And when he had opened the seventh seal, so the seventh seal is now broken. There was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Now, I'll talk about this for just a moment here. I'm not going to belabor this point very long. But heaven is not typically like this. If you take time to read any of the biblical descriptions, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, of the throne, you'll find beings around the throne, and they're crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You hear uh, uh, the uh, 24 elders falling before the throne and worshiping God, and uh, they're saying um, honor and praise and glory and blessing. And and, uh, then you have those that are rejoicing, the Bible talks about in heaven, for those that get saved. And so heaven is a very joyful, uh, a very, uh, one One writer put it this way, a very noisy place. Uh, there's a lot of joy there. There's a lot of things happening in heaven. And when the seventh seal is opened, all of heaven for a half an hour, about a half an hour, goes silent. That's pretty sobering. The mind of those that are up there when they see that seventh seal broken and know that there are things that are worse than what they've already seen coming to pass, they are sobered by it. Can I share something with you that as I was studying this hit my thought and I thought, boy, what a thought. Even the throne is silent. You ever thought about that? When we we read in uh, Isaiah and some of these uh, Old Testament prophets, uh, even as we get into Revelation and we see God on the throne the Bible says uh, there are thunderings and at the voice of Him the, the, the doors were shaken and thunderings and lightnings and, and from the throne uh, these things were coming out and, and the, the power and the might of God and during this space even the throne is silent and God knowing I believe this I believe God is brokenhearted. He is just, so He must bring the judgment. But I think there's a sobering thought to the mind of God. Why didn't they turn? Why didn't they trust me? Why didn't they take advantage of the love that I've shown them? I believe that even God, I believe even God is sorrowful at this point, very sobered by what's getting ready to happen. There is something that is found in that. And that is this, God takes no joy in judgment. He judges because He's a just God and because He's righteous. And He is very right to do that. He's not unfair to judge somebody. But He takes no joy in it. Let's look in uh, chapter 8 as we look on down here. The Bible says in verse number 2, and I saw... The seven angels which stood before God, and to bring, uh, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, there's, so there's seven angels here. John uses a definite article here, the seven angels, meaning I think that these probably are referencing something that he's previously seen and maybe even already recorded in Scripture. Uh, Brother Tully made a comment about this when I was looking at some of his notes on Revelation that he thinks that there could be a connection between the seven angels that are mentioned here and the seven spirits of God that were mentioned in chapter number 1. Uh, and the idea that these are the ones that are accomplishing God's work in the world and bringing to pass the, the, the judgments here. So we see uh, these seven angels, and if you say, no, I don't agree with that, that's fine. We don't, the, the importance of what they are, where they are, or who they are, is not this, the important thing here. The important thing is, what are they bringing the judgments that are happening here. So we're not going to get bogged down. I'll give you some thoughts along the way of what these things could be. We're not going to get bogged down into it's this or it's that as much as because we miss the point if we do that. The point is God's judgment is coming and these things are going to be very, very significant. As we get to verse 3, the Bible says, "...and another angel..." So this is not one of the seven. "...another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints..." upon the golden altar which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense which came to uh, came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar, and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. This event um, is... Uh, the, the thing that breaks the silence in heaven. Uh, the prayers of saints, I believe in the context here, is dealing with the prayers of saints that are on the earth. They're praying for deliverance. Uh, they're praying for God to, to, to um, uh, keep, keep them from being martyred and those types of things. And they're asking for God's protection and things of that nature. And uh, up until now, they have had to go through uh, those first few things that were happening to the earth, the pestilences, the famines, things of that nature. When we get to verse number three, we find that these saints are offering up prayers. Now, the angels are not. This angel here uh, that is spoken of is not um, the one who is the the courier of the of the prayer back and forth to God. Although oftentimes angels are used uh, to bring a answer to prayer in Scripture, we find that in the book of Daniel, we find that. Again, in the book of Acts, where there are a couple of areas in Scripture that talk about somebody praying and an angel responds to that prayer. They are not the one that actually... We don't pray to an angel in order to get our prayers there, in other words, is what I'm trying to get at here. But what the angels do is they... Or this angel in particular, is he offers uh, an incense. He, he, he plays the role, if you will, or he fills the role of an Old Testament priest. And when offerings were made, when prayers were made, they would burn incense... And the incense were a symbolic form of prayers ascending to God. And so he fills this role of an Old Testament uh, priest in this particular sense, that he uh, offers the incense, the smoke rises along with the prayers of the saints. So these incense are not the prayers of the saints, but they're along with it. And then in response to those prayers, the angel goes and he gets, uh, fills a vial with coals from uh, the altar and He casts them into the earth. And this is a significance of, okay, God has heard your prayers and He is answering these. And we find this, again, very symbolic throughout Scripture, uh, that this is uh, what these, these ideas are of the incense being uh, uh, given and the smoke arising before God along with the prayers, and then the coals from the altar being cast, uh, showing that God was giving some answer to prayer. So we, we understand what's, what's taking place here. Uh, Primarily at this point, most of the focus has been towards the Jewish people. Um, It's not that the other folks in the world have not experienced some things, but the focus has been primarily towards the Jewish folks. Understanding that through this, God is bringing His people back to Him. And we need to keep that in mind as we go through Revelation. He's bringing His chosen people back to the place where He will then, uh, again, for the rest of eternity, have them as His chosen people. Uh, Right now, there's been a pause in His dealing with Israel. But it's a restoration that's going to be taking place here. Um, in verse number 6, we find uh, the first of trumpets. So the seventh seal, now let's think about this for a minute. We've had the six seals already of the book. When the seventh seal is broken, inside of that seal or as a result of that seal, we now have what we refer to as the seven trumpets. Uh, these are each judgments. These judgments, There's seven of them can be broken into two categories. One of them is things that will affect the earth physically or mankind physically. And then the others deal with more of a spiritual nature. And we'll take a look at some of those as we go through. In the midst of all of this, God refers to or gives John reference to the fact that there are uh, three distinct woes. In other words, uh, these these are terrible, terrible things. And he talks about some of them being the first woe, some of it being the second woe, some of it being the third woe. And they all cover um, the seven trumpets, and they're categorized in, categorized in Scripture as uh, three different woes. Let's look at the first one in verse number six. And we're going to look at a few of these this week, and then we'll jump into uh, probably the chapter number. We may get all the way through chapter eight tonight, and uh, we'll pick up in chapter nine next week. We'll see how far, how far we get. "...the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass (coughs) was burnt up." So we find a couple of things that are uh, being sent down uh, to earth. And um, the hail is something that is throughout Scripture... Then a symbol of judgment, uh, the, uh, one of the plagues in Egypt well, was a plague of hail. Uh, the idea of fire and fire and brimstone, again, being uh, an indication of God's judgment. So God begins, um, I believe the first four riders of the, of the first four seals were the Holy Spirit removing his hand and Satan doing some things to the earth. We get to the seven trumpets. I believe now we are seeing God actively bringing judgment to the earth from Him. And we get to this place where He is sending down fire mingled with blood. And um, this is coming down as a as a symbol of God's displeasure. There's several passages. Uh, hold your place here. I'm going to look at a couple of them. I'm not going to give you all of them tonight just for sake of time, but we'll look at a few of them where God uses this uh, by way of judgment. And as far as... We know in history of Scripture, uh, these things have always been referred to as His judgment. Let's look in Job, and this is probably the most critical one I would like us to see tonight. Job chapter number 38. And Job, is the, chronologically speaking, is the oldest book, that, as far as we know, of Scripture. It was written before any of the other books uh, and is a very ancient book. And I want us to see what the Bible says here in Job chapter 38. Let's look in verse number 22. Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? So we find that there is already a, an indication that hail is something that deals with uh, the judgment of God. Uh, look in Psalm 18. Just a few chapters over. And we'll we'll see continuing Scripture in this. Psalm 18, and let's look in verse number 13. I get the page there. There we go. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Highest gave His voice hailstones and coals of fire. And so again, we find, and there are numerous passages we could take you to. I'm not going to read through a lot of them tonight. But just understanding this, that we need to understand this is very, very significant. When, when the hail and the fire falls from heaven, uh, there is something very unique here. <clears throat> uh, the fire that is falling like hail and the blood that is mingled with it. There is no question in the minds of the folks that are on the earth at that point that this judgment is from God. This isn't just a natural, another natural disaster. And I believe this is important because uh, we're living in a day where more and more we're seeing natural disasters happen. Uh, we're seeing tornadoes, we're seeing earthquakes, volcanoes, um, some, some weird things sometimes even. Tsunamis and, and, and different things that are, uh, are just devastating men and a lot of people being killed by them. And God wants to make certain when these things happen that there is no question that this is not just another natural event that has taken place, some natural disaster. But that this is the judging hand of God upon them. Very important. So he begins with something that is almost universally understood, at least has been throughout history, as God's judgment. And so he uses this particularly. The result of this is that a third part of the trees was burnt up and the green grass was burnt up. Talk about uh, the Green New Deal. I wonder what they're going to do when this happens. Uh, Those people that love the trees and hug the trees, let's plant more trees. You say, are you are you uh, anti-save uh, uh, the earth? Uh, I think we ought to be good stewards of the earth because God has given it to us to live in. But if you're asking me if I'm afraid that we're going to run out of oxygen because of the way we're living, no, God holds everything in balance. God holds it in order. We don't depend upon a tree. Uh, we don't depend upon how much oil we burn to keep our world in order. God orders it. God holds it together. And when He's done, He'll take His hand off of it, and it'll be in disorder. And uh, there's no reason for a Christian to, to worry about those things. Now, does that mean we go out here and just throw caution to the wind and treat nature terribly? No, we ought to be good stewards of it. I understand that. But I do not believe that we ought to be fretting and worrying about global warming. It's not something a Christian ought to even be concerned about. And uh, these are things that uh, are certainly going to make an effect upon the world at that point, especially if this is something that's a big deal to people in the day that we live. If this does happen in the near future, can you imagine when a third of the trees are burnt up and a third of the grass is burnt up, uh, what kind of effect that's going to have on people? Uh going to be a pretty catastrophic event for them. Uh, I mean, we got people that have to go in their pajamas and play with Plato to cope with the fact that an election didn't go the way they wanted it to. And here we're going to have uh, an environment that's going through chaos. And you wonder how they're going to respond to that. We find in, uh, in verse number 8, notice the Bible says this, And the second angel sounded, And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea that had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now, this is pretty devastating. We're, we're in a... Um, Uh, What do they call it? The pipeline is is stopped up right now as far as deliveries and all these ships out in the harbor that can't get offloaded. Uh, Imagine when those ships aren't even there. A third of them destroyed. Naval vessels, private vessels, freighters, doesn't matter. Tankers, they're all gone. And so we find this second angel open, it sounds the trumpet, and uh, the judgment of this is, the Bible says this, as it were, and any time we see a phrase like that, we know that the description to come is not the literal description of it, but the best uh, the best uh, wording that God figured we could understand and grasp in our mindset, uh, at least during the time that this was written especially, uh, they didn't know about a lot of modern things, and so God used vernacular and language that could be understood through all generations and not just the one generation. And uh, so we find that there is a... Um, uh, uh, as it were, a mountain, and burning with fire, cast into the sea. Now, some people have said this could be a, uh, a large, massive volcanic eruption. It could be. Uh, you say, Pastor, what do you think? My, my thought is this. It, it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is the judgment God's bringing through it. Uh, well, does it mean something that it's a mountain, it's a great mountain. No, it just means that God's bringing judgment upon the people. Uh, I think we, we strain it in that and swallow a camel sometimes in trying to understand the significance of uh, uh, this particular type of a, uh, a thing that's described here because that's not the point of what John's writing. Neither is it the point of what God is giving to John to write. The point is that there's going to be great, great devastation on the earth. And the first trumpet deals with the physical earth, the, the, the plant life, the trees. You'll find the second one deals with the sea. And uh, we find that he's going to take... Uh, this mountain that's burning with fire, this cast in the sea, that the sea becomes blood. It doesn't say it turns the color of. It uh, says it becomes blood. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, the third part of the creatures that are in the sea, uh, which were in the sea and had life, died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. So again, famine is already here. Now the sea is beginning to have issues. The, the ships are departing. And the third trumpet and the third angel, verse number 10, sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So now we have the trees and the land that have been smitten in the first trumpet. We have the seas and the sea life and the shipping. Destroyed in the second trumpet. Now we find the fresh water, the water that is dependent for life, men to live off of, uh, is being smitten. Uh, and this one is done by a star that the Bible says here falls from heaven. Uh, I've read a couple of different commentators on this. When I was a kid, there was a, a very large asteroid that they found, and they actually named it Wormwood, believe it or not. There's one out there floating around that's already got that name on it. Now, you say, is that the one that's going to come? I don't know. It could be. Uh, There's an interesting concept that was given by another fellow that I was reading about this particular judgment. And uh, the thought that this star is falling from heaven is, uh, he thinks, is in reference to a spiritual being that is falling to the earth. Uh, Because of the fact that it doesn't say the heavens, it doesn't mean it's coming from heaven necessarily the firmament or the environment of the heavens, but from heaven itself. And he uses references of Scripture. And we want to take a look at a couple of these very quickly. Uh, Let's look at, first of all, in Isaiah chapter number 14. Isaiah chapter number 14. And I think there is some evidence, some indication that this could be one of Satan's um, uh, minions, if you will. Uh, doing his work again during this time. Isaiah chapter 14, let's look in verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, uh, which didst weaken the nations? And so we know that Lucifer himself uh, was cast down uh, from heaven. But there are other references here that I think are also important to us. Uh, the um, Let's look in... Um, Oh, let's see here. Uh, did I write that reference down tonight? I may not have. I may not have written that reference. I may have to give you that reference. Uh, let's look to uh, Luke chapter 10. There it is. I'm sorry. I do have it in my notes here. Luke chapter 10. Praise the Lord. I got my eyes examined this week, and I'll have bifocals here soon, so I'll be able to read and see things better. Hopefully that'll help. Luke chapter number 10. And uh, let's look in verse number 18. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 18. And Jesus is speaking here, he says, And he said unto, said, said unto them, I beheld Satan, notice this phrase, as lightning fall from heaven. So here we have this, this star. There's a few things about the star that are very interesting here. Uh, the Bible says that, first of all, it was a great star. So this thing is, is large in size, it's not something small, it's not a, a shooting star like what we see oftentimes when there's a meteor shower. But this is a great star. Uh, from heaven. It's burning, as it were, a lamp. And so, again, uh, you say, well, is that then a a meteorite? Well, Satan fell as lightning, the Bible says, uh, from heaven. And so there was certainly light with him. Uh, So it very well could be um, uh, this idea. But regardless of what it is, whether it's a spiritual being or whether it is an asteroid or wormwood that comes to this earth, the purpose of it is to make bitter the bible uses the word bitter here the um, the third part of the waters uh, the fresh waters and the fountains of the deep and so not only the rivers themselves but the aquifers and things below that that uh, come up um, this is a very interesting thing because if it is an asteroid uh, there was a a um, uh, a record that was um, recorded a while back of somebody uh, in Siberia that uh, recorded a, an asteroid that, that fell or a meteorite that fell to the earth. And it was so large that it destroyed an entire forest and it embedded so deep in the earth that they never could even get to the place to recover the meteorite. So there there are times uh, that we see that this is a possibility that could be something like that. Suffice to say, it makes the waters bitter. And a third part of them. So much so that the Bible says that many men... It doesn't give us a number. It doesn't give us a measurement of the number of men. But it says that many men die from it because of the fact that the waters are made bitter. Then the fourth trumpet comes. The fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day showed not for a third part of it, and the night likewise... And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Meaning there are three woes. And they're going to refer to those. We'll see them in the next couple of chapters as to which woes there are. He's going to talk about some of these things and he's going to say that was the first woe. He's going to talk about another thing. He's going to say that's the end of the second woe. And then he's going to talk about the third woe. And so it's very interesting here that these things are said in verse number 13. I want to talk a little bit about this. I'm not going to be able to develop all of this one uh, in the time that we have tonight, so we'll get started on it, and then Lord willing, we'll pick up there next week. Well, let's take a look at what happens with this fourth angel when they sound their trumpet. The Bible says this, that a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, so as, and, and meaning that this is the result of their third being smitten, so as the third part of them was darkened. That's interesting. He goes on to describe it even further and say, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So it very well could be that if there was a large enough asteroid or something that hit the earth in the third trumpet, that it could cause the events of the fourth trumpet. and But even if it doesn't, God causes it regardless. Whether He uses the, the resource of the third trumpet to accomplish this or not, the days are shortened. The day is shortened by a third and the night is shortened by a third. That's so what it says there at the end of verse number 12. It says, so that the day shone not for a third part of it. And if you said, well then, that means the night was just longer. No, because it also says the night was also shortened by a third. So we find that the day is no longer a 24-hour day. The day is now a 16-hour day. Uh, We find a third of the day gone, day and night gone. The sun doesn't shine for a third of it that it used to. The moon and the stars, they don't shine for the third of it that they used to. Um, Some people say, well, that means that God carves out a third of the sun and God carved out a third of the moon. I'm not quite sure in the context that that's speaking of a physical destruction ...of the sun or the moon as much as it's dealing with the fact... ...and he he leaves he uses all that to describe the result at the end of chapter 12... ...meaning the day is shortened by the third and the night is shortened by a third. Meaning that now we have a 16-hour day going on. Uh, by the way, we'll find as we get further into this... ...that there's going to come a point where the, the, the physical, emotional strain... ...of these judgments will become so great that the Bible will say unless the days had been shortened, they would not have been able to tolerate them. They would not have even been able to to survive them. So I believe this is the shortening of that day. I think this is when this took place, uh, is in this third trumpet. Now notice the Bible says here in verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. Uh, there's some more coming i I don't know sometimes when we read this we're sitting in a church in a church building we're in padded chairs we have air conditioning running and it's hard for us to con- contemplate and imagine and, and or comprehend I guess would be the better word uh, the the disaster that this is uh, a third part of the trees in the world are burned up the grass burned up uh, some people think it's localized to the the region of Israel, because it's primarily dealing with uh, 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 the the day of uh, uh, of uh, the trouble of Israel here. But the Bible says that it does this about the earth, and so I'm going I'm just going to take what the Bible says and understand it to be that it's all of the earth that's involved in this. A third of the trees in the plant life and the, and the grass is burned up. A third of the sea life, the shipping, the waters turned to blood. Uh, fresh waters are poisoned, made bitter. Some people believe it may be radioactive that caused that. I don't know. We don't know what the answer is. But other, we do know they were made poison. Uh, we find that this day, the sun and the moon are shortened by a third. People at this point are understanding that these are not just natural disasters. These are things that are coming from God. That's very important because as we get to the end of chapter number 9, I think it is, we're going to see that once again God extends grace and offers for people to come to Him and repent. And they, they even get more resentful. They get more bitter. They get more defiant to the things of God. I would, we sit here as Christians and we think, well, if I was going through that, first thing I'd do would be to run to God. That's not going to be the response. And while there are going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation period, there's no doubt about that. It should not be an excuse for us to sit back and say, well, then we don't need to tell people about the Lord because they'll find it in the tribulation period. According to Revelation, there's going to be a lot of people. They're going to be so strongly deluded and deceived by Satan, so stirred in their hatred towards God, but if they do, not re- they, they do not receive Him before this time, they, I don't think, are going to have a very good shot at seeing coming to Him afterwards. If their spirit is already defiant that way, and uh, very important that we reach people while there's time, while there still is a, a sensitivity and opportunity for them to come to Christ without having to go through these things. I don't know about you, but I don't want any of my loved ones. Uh, Jonathan and I, over the years, we've talked at length about his spiritual condition. I don't mean to embarrass him tonight. But in studying Revelation, uh, I occasionally will still ask him, Jonathan, are you sure? Do you know 100%? Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, Dad, I know. And I said, listen, I'm not questioning you, but this stuff is so important. I, I would hate to be a pastor of a church and preach this stuff to the people and my own son die and go to hell if, it's not, if it wasn't the case. You say, well, Pastor, he's your son. You, you shouldn't have to worry about those things. I do. We all ought to. We ought to be concerned about our family members. We ought to be concerned about our neighbors. Because we don't want them to go through this. Even if they had the opportunity to be saved during the tribulation period, why would we want them to go through this in order to come to Christ? These are certainly things we would not want them to go through. And uh, so we'll pick up there next week in chapter number 9. Again, there is a purpose in studying prophecy. It is not just for us to have head knowledge. It needs to stir our hearts. It needs to motivate us. It needs to cause us to have more of a burden and a desire to reach people with the gospel. And it needs to teach us that we need to be living right. We need to be doing the things that God has for us to do. And um, I I want when God comes back and the rapture takes place, I I don't want to be in the middle of doing something I'd be embarrassed to stand before Him doing. I I want to live in such a way that if He came in any moment, I'd be able to stand before Him and say, Lord, I did my best to serve you, to live for you, and it ought to be a motivation for us to do right. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, as we look into these judgments, Lord, may we not take them lightly. These are very severe judgments, and the most severe are yet to come. The woes that are spoken of here are, are so so devastating. Lord, even so much while we read it, I don't know that we can fully understand, fully comprehend the weight and